Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluffville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing in our study of the Gospel of John. And last time we were talking about this portion of Scripture in chapter 4 of John's Gospel as it related to the woman at the well. In this conversation, and Christ's teaching had been continuing for quite a number of verses when Christ, in verse 24, said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I am, uh, I that speak unto thee am he. I that speak unto thee am he. John gives three descriptions of God here in John four twenty four. We see that God is a spirit. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, we see that God is love. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we see that God is light. Certainly, God is a spiritual being who is invisible and without a body. He is a divine person who reveals himself in perfect intellect, emotion, and will. He is the source and personification of all material and spiritual life. God is self-existent. He's eternal in relationship to time. He's unlimited in relationship to the immensity of space. He is immutable in his nature. He is the unity of all existence, and he is consistent in his being. That is, he corresponds in actual fact to his nature and attributes as they uh, and his attributes as they are revealed to us and that uh, is taken from the King James study bible so here we see that god is presented as a spirit trying to help her understand the fact of where we worship is insignificant. How we worship, where we worship, but what is important is who we worship. And how we worship is important when we understand we must worship God in spirit and in truth, not in whims or whimsy, but in spirit and in truth. We continue here at verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, 
am he, I am the Messiah. And upon this came his disciples. Here he revealed himself to her, and the disciples show up. They're coming back in from town where they've been there to buy groceries. And they marveled that he talked with this woman. There are a number of reasons, and I'll get into those in a moment. But they marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Let's explore the significance of this for just a moment. They were marveling that he would talk to her. Number one, that he would talk to a single woman or a woman by herself. That was not the usual way. That was not usual society code. So that was unusual. Secondly, to speak to a woman who was uh, by herself at the well at this time of day knowing that someone that came to the well at this time of day was usually an outcast because of some sort of sin in their lives. Usually it was considered to be sexual immorality, first thing, that was the first thought probably, that entered their minds. And they were marveling that he would speak to her because they knew that Christ would have known the taboos of the day and the fact that women of ill repute do not come to the well with the other women of the community. Or it could be that they were just wondering why anybody would uh, take it upon themselves to speak to their rabbi, especially a Samaritan, because, as we've said, Samaritans were despised, and they had nothing to do with the Jews, and the Jews had nothing to do with them. But here Christ... Jesus showed compassion to this woman, giving her the truth and the opportunity to receive the truth. Verse 28, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. She forgot about the water. She had met the Messiah. She forgot about the water. She left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, and the men probably knew her very well, said to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Uh-oh. If he told her everything she ever did, he might have told him about them. Might have told her about them. Maybe he knows about them too. If he's the Messiah, oh no. The Messiah, remember, the Pharisees figured the Messiah would come in judgment, not in compassion and not coming as Savior, even though the Old Testament presents the Messiah coming both as Savior and as Lord and King. And yet the Pharisees received the Lord and King part, but they didn't really receive the Savior part, if that makes any sense. They sort of dichotomized who they wanted to be the Messiah or how they wanted him to be presented. And so then they went out of the city and they came unto him. Verse 30 now, verse 31, In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now, here's where the disciples are, are sort of acting somewhat humorous. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Somebody been feeding him? 
Did we miss out? Was there a, a hamburger stand here somewhere that we missed? What's going on? They had brought him the food. They knew he was hungry. They knew he was tired. They knew he was worn out. And so he sat by the well instead of going into the city so he could rest. But that was not why he sat there. He rested, yes. But he sat there because he knew he had a divine appointment. And his statement being spiritual, I have spiritual meat to eat that you don't know of. I have a a work to do that you don't understand. His disciples took it as being the physical thing again. Has somebody brought you something to eat? Is the question. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He spoke plainly to them, I'm doing the spiritual work that God my Father has sent me to do, and that will be my meal right now. Now, of course, when he was finished with all of this, then maybe it would be time to eat, but he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to finish the work that God has sent me to do. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, And look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Think about it. Something for you to consider in your life. Has it ever happened that you have been privileged to lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ, but you just happened upon the situation? Someone else had planted the seed, and you were able to harvest I've been on mission trips. I've been in many places of the world. I've preached in many uh, states of our nation here. And I have seen people come to faith in Christ, and I have rejoiced. But it wasn't that I, uh, who was there to see the harvest, I was not the one that planted the seed. I was not the one that uh, tilled and kept the weeds out. I was not the one that put the fertilizer to it, so to speak. I was not the one that watered the seed that uh, was there so it would germinate. But I was the one that harvested the crop. And so it is uh, all over the world. We do not often, often we do not, even if we're pastoring a church for a long period of time, often we do not have the pleasure and joy of planting the seed of the gospel nurturing that seed and then seeing it take fruit and harvesting the fruit by seeing a soul saved. Often, more often than not, we don't get to see that all the way through. But we do get to be a part either of planting or nurturing or harvesting. And where one sows, another harvests. And that's God's plan. And that's the way it works. And that's fine. And we rejoice in that. And we should rejoice in that. And that's what Christ is saying here, you know, you have been laboring to harvest where you haven't sown. You've been laboring to sow where you won't get to harvest. 
but that's okay. That's the way it works. Now, when he said, don't say there are four months and then comes harvest, that's what you say when you're a farmer. I'm going to plant the seed now three or four months later, I'll be able to harvest it. He said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And I heard one expositor of this passage say that the Samaritans, the men of Samaria, were wont to wear these white turban-like headdresses, and they kept the sun off their head with these gleaming white headdresses. And here they are coming out from the city to the well, to Jacob's well there, to meet the Messiah. They're coming with this woman, and here are these white head coverings glistening in the sun, in the noonday sun, as they come from the city to the well. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're already white, white already to harvest. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. A number of folks believed her and believed on Christ. Now these are Samaritans. These are folks that do not believe the old Jewish ways, but they believe their own brand of Judaism, if you will, or Samaritanism. And they had their own style of religion. They worshipped in their own way, in their own place. But here they come to faith in the Messiah. They receive the Messiah. Nicodemus doesn't show that he received the Messiah. Later on we see that he acts as if he had, and we know he was a follower of Christ. But he didn't show that. We don't see it in Scripture. But we see it in Scripture here about the Samaritans. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. This is totally unheard of. This is something that would never happen normally for a Jewish itinerant to spend any time in Samaria, much less even go through it. Here he's spending two days with them, teaching them. And many more believed because of his own word. Now, let's put that together. 39, the verse 39, many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. He spent those two days in Samaria, and the people came to faith in the Messiah. And they said, these that came to faith in Christ because they heard him speak, they said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, For we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Christ's ministry was going full force. And the the off-scouring and the outcasts of the world, the Samaritans, the outcasts of the Jewish world, were coming to faith in Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 43, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Have I ever seen that to be true? Absolutely. 
I know of pastors and preachers, teachers, evangelists, that are in their own home area and they're not even known. Nobody even knows who they are. Oh, is that where he or she lives? But when they're outside of their home area, they are revered. I've seen it in my own ministry, and I've seen it in the ministry of many others, that uh, when I go somewhere and preach, there may be a huge crowd. And I tell people, they're not coming to hear me. They're coming to hear the Word of God. You see, it seems that when we are in our home area, uh, we are not well received. But when we leave our home area, we're an expert because we're coming from far away. Isn't that strange? And yet Jesus Christ himself said that was the way it was and the way it would be. And it is. 2,000 years later, it's still the same way. Here he is in Samaria in a place that they didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like them. He was Jewish. He came in. He prophesied to them. He proclaimed to them. He teached them. He preached to them. They accepted him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. They accepted him for who he was. And then he went to the Galilee, which is where he was from. And he, he testified, a prophet does not have honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. And so he came back in, they accepted him for the miracles, they accepted him for the work that he did at the feast of Passover, they, they uh, were accepting of all those things because of what they had seen him do somewhere else, not for what they had seen of him personally there with them. Verse 46 and following, we have the story of the nobleman's son who was healed. And this is another mention of Cana in Galilee. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. I, I see that as a heart cry. I see that as tearful eyes. I see that as a quaver and a, a quiver in the voice. I see that as the nobleman realizing his son was on his deathbed and he came to this one that he thought would heal him. And he said, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. The nobleman said, Sir, come to Capernaum. If you don't, my child will die. Verse 50, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. 
Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in the which Jesus had said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. You see what happened? Jesus spoke the word and it happened. It didn't matter if Jesus was in Cana or Jesus was in Capernaum. This guy said, come on down to my house and I'll, uh, because my son's going to die and I need you to come and heal him. Jesus said, he's okay. Go on home. Jesus is not confined to one location with his healing, with his miracles, with his message, with his salvation that is available to you, my friend. Jesus Christ is available to you today. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.